the end of the chapter and can be found on page 1011. That's 1011 of the Church Bibles. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. When the other disciples told him that they had seen the Lord, he declared, Unless I seal the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are all of those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. A joke. I like starting with a joke. Two nuns were driving alone out in the countryside when they ran out of petrol. Fortunately, they could walk to a petrol station not far away. Also, fortunately, the government hadn't been scaremongering that particular week. And they asked the attendant there if they could purchase a can of petrol. Well, I'm sorry, sister, said the attendant, but all I have for you to carry it in is a chamber pot. Well, the nuns looked at each other and agreed, actually, this would be okay. And they returned to the car. And as they were pouring the petrol into the tank, a man drove by stopped his car and said, Oh, sister, if only I had your faith. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, great. Well, what are you struggling to believe at the moment? That retirement and old age hold promise and purpose that your pension will be worth what you hope it will be worth when you reach retirement, that it will be worth anything, that the job you have is the right one for you, that your children are doing okay and will be okay, that your marriage is something that you really want to be part of, that drinking less will help in the long run, That reading a book 
is better than watching porn? That the church is worth being a member of? That our government know what they're doing? That your skills and time and energy can make a difference for God and his church? That Jesus is who he says he is? That he's given us freedom, life and a hope-filled future with God? That there is a God? We all struggle to believe in something or some things. It stands to reason. It's understandable. Life can be unpredictable. It can be extremely demanding, raising all sorts of questions and doubts. Anyone who says they don't struggle to believe something isn't being honest. In short, I don't believe them. Certainty, having things all sewn up, doesn't leave much room to discover more. Just look at Thomas, doubting Thomas. Now, uh, hopefully you can see this painting here. Um, If you can't see it very well, then uh, I encourage you to search it on the web. It's painting by Caravaggio and it's called Doubting Thomas. Fantastic piece of artwork. It's one of my favourites. And one of the things I love about it is it's so vivid, when you look at it, you could almost be standing in the room um, whilst that's happening. It's uh, an incredible um, encounter. But Caravaggio may have produced wonderful art which points us to heaven, but his own life was a catalogue of human weaknesses. He led an extremely turbulent and violent life, most of which he seems to have brought upon himself. He was hot-headed, jealous and angry, and his crimes ranged from throwing hot artichokes at a waiter to the rather more serious and frequent street brawls that he got himself into. In fact, he fled Rome after a particularly unpleasant incident about unpaid debts. But in the midst of this, all this undoubted human failing and shame, Caravaggio gave us some of the most insightful artistic impressions and interpretations um, of the life of Christ. Perhaps it was his experience of the varied dimensions of human behaviour, of the risky, less explored, less acknowledged sides of human life, like doubt, that enabled him to be able to portray emotion, passion and basic humanity so very well. Now in this painting, it was painted around about 1600, Thomas has a face etched with years of experience. The, uh, the guy in the, in the foreground there, whose hand is um, in, put, um, the finger is being uh, put into the side of Jesus. You can see there on his brow, those lines, a face etched, a face etched with years of experience. And perhaps even a hint of cynicism born out of adversity, life's ups and its downs. Now, it shouldn't be enough to doubt in the fact of the resurrection without seeing it. Jesus makes that clear 
and John highlights that in his Gospel story. But it does give Thomas a humanity we all share and the all too real elements of doubt in our own lives. Thomas is a figure we can all identify with. And for doubting, does Jesus have a go at Thomas? Have a go at him for not believing the news that was quite frankly incredible and unimaginable? Does he tell him off? Does he tell him to take a running jump? Tell him to clear off for struggling with doubt? No. Absolutely not. And yet the way we go about it sometimes in church, you'd think that doubting was crime. Thomas's struggles and doubt are an encouragement to us. And that's presumably why the writer John includes them in his Gospel story. They help us. They're an inspiration to us. And there are a number of striking points that John highlights and I want to draw attention to and help us explore together this morning. Firstly, Jesus works with Thomas's doubt. In the painting, Thomas's face also shows surprise. When you, when you look more closely, if you look on the web, you'll see his eyes are quite wide, uh, open quite widely. So he's, he's looking in surprise as Jesus holds his hand and guides it into the wound. Jesus knows the vow Thomas made, unless I put my hand into his side. And Jesus calls this bluff. I was thinking about this week, that, that this week, and I thought, if that was me, what would that have felt like? I mean, it must have been wonderful and weird all in one go. But it shows that Jesus works with doubt. His hand takes hold of ours to guide it, to touch and to feel and experience the risen power of Jesus Christ. But of course, it's the wounds that Thomas touches. Reassurance and belief in the risen power of Christ come through the wounds inflicted at the cross. The painful, costly, demanding and downright difficult times in life. So all of you, take heart in whatever doubts you have at the moment. Trust and wait for the hand of Christ to reach out and enable you to touch and experience and know his presence and his power in the wounds of life. Secondly, Thomas missed the boat first time round, didn't he? The good news of Easter passed him by. It's a week later that Thomas sees and believes what the others have been telling him all along. Now sometimes we seem to miss out on what God is doing. I know I've felt like that from time to time over the years. Other people seem to get it or experience it, but we don't for some reason. But here, there's another encouragement to stick close to other believers, just like Thomas did. To stay within the church community when we're struggling with doubt. Because Jesus will meet with us and help us in exactly the right way for each of us. 
Reach out your hand and put it into my side, says Jesus to Thomas, knowing that that was precisely the reassurance that Thomas craved. Now, one of the good things about living in Basin Hill is that if you miss one of the buses and you stay waiting at one of the bus stops, another one will come along shortly. Well, thank goodness, Thomas's own story encourages us to wait around long enough for God to come along, pick us up, and take us further on our journey of faith. Thirdly then, Thomas absolutely refused to believe what he didn't believe. Refused to say that he understood what he didn't understand. He couldn't bring himself to pretend. He was a man of integrity and honesty. Now I bet if we're honest, and if I'm honest, our heart isn't in what we do as a church sometimes. We're not convinced of what God's doing, or asking of us, and we don't commit to things like we know we ought to, because deep down, we doubt. Or maybe we're just not honest about the things we're struggling to believe in our own lives. We're just not open about the fact that we have doubts. And so we go through the motions, give the appearance that we have belief in all the right places, that we're totally believing, totally trusting. And this really equates to nothing more than a mask. A mask that slips. And yet Thomas's story tells us that we don't have to pretend. Honesty is a far better approach because Jesus always, always responds and meets us where we are. And so, in your friendships, be honest with each other and trust that Jesus will respond in ways that help you to believe in all that he's got in store for you. One of my longings is for our home groups that, that help make up our church community will, will become increasingly places of genuine friendship and honesty where we can share what really is going on in our lives, where we don't have to go with that mask of belief firmly in place, where we can be the real Tim and the real you, and where we can get that care and support to help us and enable us to experience the power of Jesus at work in our lives. Moving on then, fourthly, when he was sure, Thomas went the whole way. He gave 100%. Now last week at Lee Abbey, the children went on a zip wire and uh, the first time when they came back, to tell us they'd been on this zip wire, we were sitting at lunch and we said, oh, well, how, how have you got on this morning? What have you done today? Oh, we went on this zip wire. And I thought it was, how I pictured it, it was one of these uh, great ones on, on an adventure playground. You know, it's about 20 foot long and about eight or nine feet off the ground. You know, and I thought it was like that. And I said, well, what was it like then? Oh, it was above the trees. I thought, I thought no, it wasn't. And it was about, oh, it was about 100 metres long. I thought, it can't be. 
There's no way. Anyway, so a few days later, they, uh, they offered it again. And uh, I was going on a walk that afternoon. That's where I took all those photos that I showed you earlier. And I was telling about this holiday we're planning. And, um, and so I was walking around and, and Ryan didn't know, he was, he'd gone on the zip wire again, that I was nearby. And I watched him do it from afar, um, from in, on, on the side of the hill. And it really was, it was about 10 foot above the trees, and it was at least 100 metres long. It was quite incredible. And they're in this harness, and all I could see was him wiggling his legs. But apparently they challenged him as he was going along to do the Irish jig as he was going over. But it just looked like he was wiggling his legs to me. But, but once you started on this zip wire, there was no way of stopping. It was all or nothing. So if you go on it, you've been warned. Now this was true of Thomas. He went the whole way. Once he started out on that zip wire of faith, there was no stopping him. It was all or nothing. He got it. And so then he proclaims, My God, my Lord. There was no halfway house for Thomas He wasn't expressing doubts simply to draw attention to himself. He doubted to become sure. And when he did, he surrendered fully to belief in Jesus Christ. Belief born out of the struggle of doubt. Now how have we responded to those times when God has so clearly been at work for good in our lives? What difference have those unmistakable encounters with God made to the way we work, the way we spend time with our family and friends, the way we spend our money, the way we use our skills and our time to help build up the church. Have they made any difference? And if they have, has it dwindled? Do we need to look for a fresh encounter with Jesus? One that leaves us crying out, my Lord and my God, leaves us wanting to rededicate our lives and our skills, our time and our money to Christ. Finally then, Thomas, once he'd had this amazing encounter with Jesus, continued to live for him in the days ahead. He sticks around. And so the doubter becomes one of the building blocks of the church. Don't you think that's incredible? The one we call the doubter became one of the building blocks of the church. That can be you and me. That is you and me. When Jesus brings us to that place of belief in his power and his presence, he gives us a part to play in his church. When we experience his power. He calls us. It's about responding to God's power at work in our lives. Do all of us know how God is calling us, asking us to serve him? Do you know? And if you're doing something already, is it the right thing? And let's just think about our own church life. So much goes on. God's giving us more and more to do. 
and we all have a part to play. Can you help welcome? Can you help serve coffee? Could you help start a new form of church for the over 65s? Could you help run the screen, operate the PA? If I can run the screen, then anybody can, seriously. Could you visit the elderly or the housebound? Could you pray for people? Could you commit to pray for Laura in her pioneer ministry? Is God calling you to take on that role? Could you help sort out the admin for this church holiday to Lee Abbey? Could you support Ingrid with Outlook or help Audrey and the team with senior citizens' lunches? God wants to build on the great things he's done in and through Christchurch, Baston Hill in the past. And I don't want to see us doubting the good things that God has in store for us. I don't want to see you doubting that who you are and the skills you have can make a difference for God and his church. Because they can and they will make a difference. Just look at Audrey and the team for these senior citizens' lunches. They do what they can do. And they do it for God. My prayer is to see each of us have an encounter, a fresh encounter, with the risen Christ that enables us to live for him and to serve him. We've now got a new mission statement. Loving God, living his adventure. It's built on two things that God has been showing us over the past year. Number one, that loving him and making sure that we stay close to him is the priority, come what may. From that, everything else will flow. Our relationship with God is the most important thing. But secondly, the future that he's leading us into is an adventure An adventure of discovery, discovery for you to find out what God has in store for you and what he wants you to do for him. And also collectively as a church, as we move forward. So I encourage us all to remember it and to live by it and make use of those everyday objects and use those and pray about it. And we also have our vision map. This week the first edition of it was published. And the brochure is available at the back. You can take a paper copy or get it on the web. The brochure highlights our priorities, as I said earlier, and how we're going to act on them over the next five years or so. It's an incredibly exciting and daunting vision. And I invite you, each of you, to read it and pray about it and to help, uh, ask God to help you discover and know what part he wants you to play in making that happen. There is something incredibly important for each one of us to do. Something that no one else can do in the way that only you can do it. It's your role. So my prayer is that as we move forward as a church, that we learn from Thomas to allow the power of Jesus to launch us into new ways of serving him. So, to finish, 
Jesus stands among us, reaches out to guide our hands to touch him and know his risen presence and his power. He's telling us, stop doubting and believe, believe that I am who I say I am, that I've done what I said I would do, that I've given you a future filled with hope, that you are my friend and my follower, that you have a part to play in my church, that you can trust me with your children, that I can be at work for good in your marriage difficulties, that the church is worth being a member of, and that your skills and your time and your energy really can and will make a difference. Amen.